Hey, what's going on, you guys? This is episode two of the Navi Design Podcast, season two. And in this episode, we sit down again with my good friend, John Joe. John was actually a guest on season one, where we actually talked about the Asian American experience and the Asian American story. I would say if you have the time, check out that episode also, as I believe that it will bring a more robust conversation. In this episode in particular, we talk about our cultural moment in time, specifically around the phenomena of what's been taking place with Asian Americans and Asian American hate crimes. This conversation was just super real and super raw, and it was very meaningful to be able to have this dialogue. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Check it out. All right. Well, what is going on, you guys? This is Andy Un, and this is another episode of the Navi Design Podcast, now season two. And uh, today we have a returning guest from season one, my good friend, John Joe. John, would you like to say hello? Yeah, glad to be back, Andy. Uh, I know <laughs> last time I was in, in ATL with, with you and your family. Now I'm, I'm tuning in from, from Fresno, California, but uh, man, it's, it's good to be back. Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm super uh, excited and very anticipant, or uh, I have an anticipation uh, for this episode in particular. Uh, John was a guest on uh, season one, and John was actually staying at my house uh, when we recorded that episode, which I just totally love the face-to-face dynamic more than the Zoom, but we're making the Zoom work. Um, but yeah, just getting right into this podcast. I mean, really not not taking too much time. But you know, with the first episode that I recorded with John, we really started delving into Asian American identity, uh, Asian American experience. Uh, it was really cool, kind of how that conversation really blossomed um, on its own, and. Yeah, I just I really enjoyed that episode because, you know, to be honest, there's not too many people or arenas where I feel like uh, there was a level of that type of synergy to talk about this topic of Asian American identity uh, that felt so synergistic and really bouncing off of each other. Um, But yeah, going into where we are going today, uh, really, we're talking this is going to be kind of a part two in many ways of that episode, but really we're going to be focusing on what is currently happening with Asians in America, more specifically uh, with the uptick of racist attacks that have been happening since the onset of COVID-19. So without further ado, I mean, John, just kind of getting right in, um, is there anything you want to first say about, you know, any of the highlights that you remember from that first episode? Yeah, I just remember, um, and I think you articulated really well, um, but it, it was very personal, right? We both got to share our own experience, experience as Asian Americans. Um, we talked about our families, our upbringing, and, um, but things have changed, right? Things have changed since uh, the world has changed. Like we went through a year of pandemic, crazy politics. Um, and even when it comes to like the expression of, what it means to be an Asian American in the U.S., mm. right? Like movies like Minari came out, Crazy Rich Asians um, last year. Um, what was it? The Oscars, right? 
uh, yep. a, a, a South Korean film won one best picture. That's right. So a lot of things have changed. I mean, it's probably not enough time to talk about that, but mm. um, we're, we're, we're in a different playing field right now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And real, I mean, and that's so real, right? Like naturally, or it feels like, you know, Asian Americans and kind of the spotlight, whether it be on our artistry or whether it be on our contribution to America as a society, you know, it seems like it's it's on the rise, you know, using the examples that you were talking about. But I do find it incredibly ironic, just digging right in, that in the midst of all of that, we are actually seeing maybe some of the most uh, vehement anti-Asian sentiment that personally for me that I've seen in a very long time. Um, so just getting right in, and John, I would love for you to comment on this as well. But, you know, for those of us who are Asian, you're probably very aware, right, just uh, by nature of what has been happening with Asians in America. But maybe for those that, for whatever what reason, may not have such a, a strong idea, uh, the last year and a half has been pretty crazy, uh, I would say, for our people. Um, I would say disturbing. I would say scary. Uh, I would say alarming. I mean, these are all words that uh, by no means I feel like um, is an understatement. And so since the onset of COVID-19, really in March of 2020, uh, we saw by the month of June and May, uh, I believe the FBI reports were at one point there was about 600 uh, attacks against Asian Americans that happened in a matter of a few weeks recorded in America. And this is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, the last the last statistic that I saw on ABC News, and this was just a month ago, is that uh, in comparison to the last, you know, however, 30, 40 years, the last year and a half alone has seen a 1900% spike in hate crimes against Asian Americans. John, is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, yeah, and I, um, yeah, those are alarming, alarming numbers, and, and numbers don't lie, right? Yes. I, I used to be an accountant before I was a pastor, so I love raw data numbers, right? Mm. It's not, there's no politics behind numbers; it's just what it is. Um, and but I, I first got, um, I guess, uh, I saw what was happening. In places like Oakland, San Francisco, uh, Los Angeles, New York City, uh, in the different Chinatowns and and like these major cities with um, large Asian population, and mm. on social my social media and Instagram, I was seeing stories of you know like elderly grandmothers being pushed. Um, I heard about an elderly in in Oakland, like I think it was a Thai man um, yes. that got pushed and he eventually died. What a tragedy! And it was. Uh, the victims, like granddaughters or sons or friends, posting this stuff on, on the media, right? Uh, on, on the social media. And so I just started digging more and more. And I saw those uh, crazy numbers of just the exponential spike on Asian American racism, hate crimes, whether it's NYPD, LAPD. I heard about a guy in LA that just got beat up in K Town of, of all places, right? Wow. So just kind of crazy stuff that's happening. Um, and so, um, yeah, I just felt uh, compelled, compelled uh, uh, as a Korean American, as a pastor, um, uh, as a son. You know, my, my mom's uh, considered a senior elderly. 
Yes. Um, she, you know, she barely speaks English. Uh, and so she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't have an Instagram or check, you know, NBC News, right? That's so right. as a concerned son, I felt the need to uh, speak up about, about, about these issues. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. And there's so many different um, angles to what is happening that I would love to explore. I mean, I just want to say this, you know, if you have followed me on social media, you will see that in times past and maybe even as of recent, you know, I am sharing about this, you know, and I don't think that that's the only way that we can advocate for justice. But, you know, it is something that I've been I've been vocal about, I've been sharing about. But in many ways, actually, John, I've been I've been actually kind of more silent um, than I want to be. And and I feel like the reason for that for me is that I was actually waiting for the right avenue. Uh, I was waiting for the right setting uh, where I feel like I could really express uh, maybe the fullness of actually how I really feel about this topic. Because um, for me, I don't see it in this, you know, binary or this linear way, but I see it as a phenomena of what's happening to Asian Americans. And so, you know, for me, I just want to say that is that this podcast for me right now, I, I, I feel in my own heart is that avenue um, where I want to be able to explore this with you, good friend of mine. Um, and we both just happen to be INFPs. I'm just saying, okay. So, <laughs> but um, so, you know, with this topic, John, of attacks against Asian Americans, 1900% spike in the last year. If you were to try to discover uh, or take a poke at why this is actually happening, obviously it's, it's such a macro issue, but what would you say would be some reasons as to why this is actually taking place? Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a complex thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's a combination of things. Uh, I think first, I, I would say this, this crazy environment of, of, of coronavirus and the pandemic and the quarantines has created a, a mental health crisis. Yes. And, and so I think uh, with that comes like a lot of anger, frustration. And Asian Americans are kind of an easy target, uh, you know, with the model minority myth or, you know, uh, uh, a lot of Asian Americans still feel like, you know, we're in the invisible minority or perpetual foreigners. Right. So, and especially the elderly Asians, right? Wow. Like 90 year old Thai man, wow. 68 year old Chinese, uh, Chinese American woman, they're wow. easy targets. And wow. generally Asians are taught to conform, you know, to respect their elders, to not speak out. And we're probably the, the, the minority group that least reports things like hate crimes, right? Wow. We ju we're just good at like sucking it up, working hard, not being victims, right? And so mm -hmm. those numbers could be actually underreported. And hmm. so I think there's a something of a, like a scapegoating, perhaps. Yeah. And yeah. this is not against any any particular like I'm not talking about like white supremacy mm. or anything like that. I'm just talking about like I think one actor put it put it very uh, well. Asian Americans are being attacked from everywhere, right? So it's not one race because racism is it's it's not political. It's a That's sin right. issue. It's yeah. a human issue. And every people group has a form of racism. Even That's Asians. Right. Can That's be right. racist, right? That's right. So, uh, but what I'm seeing is this combination, this kind of um, really explosive environment, toxicity with yeah. uh, even with politics, right? With, with what we went through the, the 2020 election that was so divisive. 
I think yeah. all that anger and frustration somehow um, it's uh, it's funneling somehow to to Asian Americans. And, and one other thing I want to say is language matters. When, mm. when we call the virus like China virus, mm. Kung flu virus, whether mm. they meant it or not, mm. people are gonna interpret that certain ways, right? Sure. For example, I had a personal experience of in California, yeah, Fresno, walking with a buddy of mine and and some sisters from the church. We see high school kids and college kids walk by us and call us coronavirus. Wow. Right? I was shocked to experience that in California. Wow. Right? And we hear people like Jeremy Lin, who is one of the most well-known athletes in America, uh, you know, one of the faces of Asian American uh, athletes get called coronavirus in the NBA. Mm. Right? So they're, they're, they're getting that from somewhere. Mm. It's not out of nowhere. So yeah, wow. I'll, kind of, I'll kind of put it there and I would love to kind of hear your thoughts, Sandy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. You know, I think there's so many ways to examine th- what's happening from a sociological uh, perspective, from the perspective of, of the pandemic and what that was doing to, you know, people's psychological, you know, state of health. And, um, but I, I, I guess I just want to go to the jugular here of, of what I want to say or what I would see in the midst of all of this is, I, I think you would agree with me, John. I think the pandemic did not instill racism against Asian Americans. I think it gave people an outlet to express it, mm-hmm. right? And for me, as I think about, you know, I, I'll just share a couple of 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 stories here. You know, when when the, when coronavirus first really started to become a thing, where you know by April of last year people were really saying, okay, like, this is serious. This isn't just something that's going to go away, right? Um, I remember uh, around May or June was when I actually started to see on my social media uh, some of these crazy attacks. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, uh, the the two-year-old boy in Texas who got his, his face cut open. Um, and I remember on what it was like a weeknight, um, I, I was following that link of a two-year-old Chinese boy who got his face cut open with a knife mm. um, by, uh, I'll just say it, for by a Hispanic American um, from uh, a remote town in, in, uh, in Texas. And when I saw that and I actually saw the photos, you know, I'm not going to lie, John, like I, I, I lost it actually. Um, mm. And I lost it for so many different reasons. I lost it because my son, Takaya, was two at the time. And you, you don't even really have to try to identify with the photo because it just happens naturally as you're watching the photo. And where my mind immediately went was I put my son's face in that photo. And I literally thought about, I'm like, what would I be feeling right now as a dad right, as a father of a son who literally did not do anything wrong, but was attacked for the simple fact that he had black hair and small eyes, that he was of Asian descent. Like, what would I, what would I actually be thinking, right? And this is just me keeping it a thousand, you know what I mean? Like, I can sit here and, and try to, you know, pretend that I, I'm putting on the pastor hat, but in that moment, uh, to be honest, what superseded that was just my heart as a dad. 
And I got so livid, John, and, and absolutely angry. And I was so deeply disturbed. And uh, just to fast forward that story, I mean, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing that happened that night. But, you know, I, I was so troubled to the point, John, I couldn't go to sleep. Um, my wife was asking me if I was ready to go to bed. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I said, No, um, I, I, I can't go to sleep. And so I'm sitting there kind of pacing in my living room. And out of nowhere, I, I felt the need to call my friend, uh, a black friend of mine, who's like a covenant brother. I mean, we are just it, the, the relational connectivity is so deep. And he lives out in Pasadena, California. He's a man of God, and, and we're just really good friends. But it was so interesting, because out of anyone I could have called, in the midst of feeling this deep pain for Asian Americans, you know, you would have thought that I would have reached out to another Asian friend and, and try to find some consolation there. But the first person that came to my mind was was my black friend. Um, and I called him, and I'm not going to mention his name, but I called him. And, you know, I just started to pour out my heart. And I just said, bro, like, I'm so deeply troubled right now. And I can't really articulate what it is that I'm feeling. And I'll never forget what he said to me, because it, it actually still rings true. And, 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 and I want to kind of just share some quick thoughts on it. But he said to me, he's like, Andy, bro, like he said, what you're feeling is absolutely natural, because what happened to that two year old kid was an abomination. That's what he said. He said, it's an abomination. And then he said, but I, you know, Andy, I, I, I want you to hear my heart on this. He said, I think you're maybe getting a slight glimpse, you know, not to say that this justifies it at all. But uh, basically, he said, this is what black people have been feeling for the last 50 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And again, for the sake of time, I mean, that conversation turned into an hour and a half conversation. Mm. And I just want to say it like this, in the safety of friendship, when there's like real friendship, mm. Um, it allows for real depth of dialogue to take place mm. um, where I knew that he was not afraid to share, you know, his honest thoughts about some of what was going on. And I wasn't afraid to share what I really felt because, you know, one of the things that I brought up to him was I said, you know, according to one of the reports that I saw, two out of three of these attacks were perpetuated by the black community. And that's just being real about it. That's yeah. not attacking anyone. Like yeah. you said, it's just data. And yeah. whether we like that data or not, you know, two out of three attacks in, in many cities were being perpetuated by the black community. And rather than overlooking that piece of data, I think what it gave me was it gave me an opportunity to engage in this conversation, you know, with my brother and I think there was some real gold uh, that came about mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. anyways, that's just the, a, a quick antidote uh, from that period of time and, and just kind of the way that it helped me process. Yeah. But just last thing that I'll say, John, and I would love for you to chime in, you know, any way that you want. But, you know, I, I remember um, around May in particular, you know, my wife and I, we, we were actually slightly afraid to go to Costco. Mm. And I, I'm not saying that for dramatic effect. I, I, I really mean that. Um, I remember in the height of all of what was taking place, 
there was just a moment where I looked at Yuna and she was like, Hey, we have to go to Costco. What do you want? And I literally looked at her and I said, I don't want you to go. I'll go. Mm. You know what I mean? But it, it, it was the feeling of just for all intents and purposes, like, like, damn, like, are we really here right now? Like, am, am I really afraid to let my wife go to Costco to get chicken nuggets and toilet paper? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I think that that, that feeling, the, the fact that that was a real phenomenon, the fact that that was actually in the dialogue and in the conversation, honestly, bro, bro it just blew my mind because I was like, this is the year 2020. And supposedly we're supposed to be beyond all of these things, but I actually feel like this is almost an evidence that maybe we haven't made as much quote unquote progress mm -hmm. as we thought we had. So mm -hmm. that that's my thoughts. Whew. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of, a lot of emotions, man. A yeah. lot of emotions as I, as I kind of heard, heard you speaking and I so appreciate you kind of going at the heart of, heart of it. And I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, you know, I just did another podcast and I'm not going to, you know, name anything, you know, yeah. it's a good, good brother of mine that I love, but, um, I had to kind of go with, a. I couldn't be hundred percent real, right. Yeah. Because, um, I think one of the frustrations that I have is oftentimes when you hear about, you know, discrimination or racism, uh, it's politicized. And so, you know, yes. they, 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 talk about the media bias and it's, 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 you know, basically a way to diminish what is happening. But when, when you, when you boil it down to a two-year-old child getting slashed in the face at the family in Dallas, you know, who got stabbed just for being Chinese or Asian American, yeah. you know, um, when you boil it down, it's real people, yeah. whether it's three people or 28, it doesn't matter. It right. should not be happy. It's not okay. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and the question of, uh, you know, what does it mean to be an American and, and belonging, right? Are, are it, you know, it's, people love Asian food, but do they actually love Asians? Do, yes. they, do, do they actually think that we belong in this country, yeah. Yeah. right? They love Kung Fu movies, but do they actually want, uh, uh, you know, a, a Korean American, Chinese American, you know, Thai Cambodian to be their neighbor? Yes. Those are real questions, yes. you know, for the kids to play together. And uh, I couldn't fully talk about this because I felt like I had to keep defending right. that, that this is not okay. That it's yeah. not about politics. Yeah. And, you know, if, we, if we're getting real, you know, I talked about how like two out of three, you know, of these attacks or discrimination were by, by the African-American community. Yeah. I felt like during the summer BLM movement, the yeah. justice movement, yeah. Asian-Americans uh, majority yeah. stood in solidarity, yep. right? because we benefited so much from the equality and justice movements of the African-American in the past, whether it's MLK, like 100%. every minority benefited, right? So we stood in solidarity. But 100%. when it comes to this issue, I don't see that many, um, whether it's African-American, you know, Caucasian, Black, yeah. I don't see other races talking about it. And yep. I think that was the frustration with, with some of the more vocal Asian-Americans was like, are people listening? Yep. And, and, and who, who is standing with us yep right? and and not only that but I, I i found even asian americans um saying like or or, or staying silent in this issue right yes. so if we don't speak up as a community 
right? How can we expect other communities to speak on our behalf? Come on. Yeah, bro, you, you just opened up the, the bee's nest in the greatest of ways. Uh, not to say that this is a dangerous bee's nest, but it's a bee's nest that contains honey inside. Um, I think there's a lot to actually glean from, from, from this. And yeah, bro, I, I appreciate you going there, John, because I think this is, this is necessary. Um, you know, I, I want to say something quickly and, and then I'll share my thoughts. But, you know, I, I think I... <laughs> typical of the INFP, I think I get misunderstood from the outside world <laughs> quite often. And that's okay, right? I, I don't, uh, that doesn't truly bother me that much. But I think sometimes when people see my conservative, you know, political leanings, let's just put it that way. I think people would love to kind of uh, believe that, oh, well, Andy doesn't actually think that racism is, is an issue. Does that make sense? Like somehow you kind of get sequestered together. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get pigeonholed. Yeah, you get pigeonholed, right? Yeah. And I just want to make this very, really clear. Actually, I, I think racism is a real issue in America. I think it's an absolute real issue in America. Uh, I, I would disagree with a lot of, you know, uh, conservatives on this issue. But I, I, for the sake of time, what I will say is I think where I do stand with all of this is uh, I, I, I try to separate what I believe is a political agenda to hijack a real racist phenomenon from the racism itself. Does that make sense, John? Yeah, totally. And, I, yeah. The way that I talk about it is capital BLM and lowercase yeah. BLM. Absolutely. Those are two different things. They're organization. Absolutely. And pe people crying out for justice are two different things. Absolutely. And I think, I think any intelligent person can understand that, that you can reject an agenda or an organization wholesale, but you can actually believe in the very thing that, that they're trying to address, right? So I just want to make that very clear. But for me, yeah, I, I, when I think of what you just brought up, John, in terms of in the midst of you know uh, all that was happening with George Floyd, Dude, I, I legitimately, I probably saw 95, if not 99% of my Asian friends speak up about it, post about it, you know, again, not to say that that counts for, you know, what, whatever, but, but the fact that was that there was a vocality there, right? I'm going to be real with you, John, in my heart, if I'm just being honest, right? Cause I've lived a little bit of life, right? And I think there's a, there's a sobriety to the idealism that, that I have in my mind, right? I don't look at everything as like, well, this is the way that we're going to like be a, like, we're, we're going to, we're going to like hold hands together and we're going to no like, to be honest, that, that idealism was kind of washed out of my mind years ago. When I saw that happening, John, just to be honest in my heart, and I was sharing this to some of my closest friends, I said, I promise you when shit hits the fan for the Asians, you're going to hear silence. And I'll tell you why I believed that, John, okay? This isn't a wholesale statement to say that Black people don't really care about Asians. This isn't a wholesale statement to say that white people don't really care about Asians. But I do think there's a level of truth there to say that when it actually, because let's just be real on this podcast. Actions speak louder than words. That's right. If I care about you, John, right? If I care about you, 
And if you were to call me and say, Andy, like, I really need your help. If I really cared about you, John, I would be willing to get on a flight to fly out to Fresno to be by your side because this is the reality of my care for you. Does that make sense? Mm, totally. And so in that regard, I feel like it is a very inconvenient truth that I'm not trying to smother this in people's faces, but I think we have to kind of get rid of the idealism if we're going to go anywhere. And I think what, what I saw was I said, you know, when it comes to when it comes to other communities genuinely caring about the Asian cause, I think there's a, a measure of sentiment there that that knows that it's wrong. But I, if I'm being really honest, I, I knew that no one was going to go to bat for us. Mm. And I'll just connect this here and I want you to chime in, John. But this is where this is where my very practical side comes in because this is something I've been saying for years now. This is what I've been saying. I said, I don't post and I don't care if white people or black people or, or Hispanic people uh, repost what I have to post. And I'll tell you why. Because until I see Asian Americans come together in true solidarity, in true unity, no one is going to take us seriously anyways. So that, that I, I just agree with everything that you're yeah. saying there in the sense yeah. that, you know, yes, it, I, I think it is very unfortunate that other communities are not taking up the cause of the Asian American community at this time, especially when that service or that uh, favor, let's call it for what it is, was provided in their time of need, right? Um, but at the same time, what I'm also saying is, I also don't blame other communities for not taking our stuff seriously because we don't even take ourselves seriously. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. A lot there. No, a lot there, man. No, um, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting fired up, but um, yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you. I, 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 that's why I think that the my model minority myth is so dangerous. Yes. Right that you know Asians are all you know Ivy League grads making the highest income and they're basically like quote unquote like uh, like white people but different color right right that's that's not true first of all Asian Americans represent a wide spectrum like right? we're Southeast Asians we have South Asians right and and a wide variety of socioeconomic right from from uh, you know underrepresented people like Hmong in Fresno, the Hmong yep. people is like the majority of Asian Americans. Wow. And they're extremely underrepresented, right? Lowest socioeconomic, and so um, I think it's, it's, it's such a dangerous stereotype and myth. And secondly, I think that the criticism, the internal critique is important, right? Yeah. Because for those of us who have bought into this model minority myth, right? Basically, you know, if we just kind of pig a tail with with the white majority or those in power and we don't speak up then they might not know that we're a minority or or, or, or people of color that's right, right. We, we'll get the benefits as long as we don't say anything. we don't rock the boat right but what, what i'm encouraged by is there's a new generation of young people who yes. have debunked the model minority myth, myth that if we don't stand up for ourselves nobody else will right mm. but but it is a growing i think um group of young people 
that are yeah. using social media and different platforms, right? When, when the mainstream media is still not really giving attention to what's happening to the Asian community, right? There, there's, they're like, no, we're, we're going to, we talked about this, having a seat at the table, right? If we're not going to have a seat at the table, we're going to bring our own chair. And, right. and, 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 and I think you said like, we'll bring our, our, our kimchi soup to the That's table, right. right? We'll bring like our food. That's right. So, so I see that happening in a grassroots movement, but it's still not enough. That's the right. soul, this, this, maybe, I don't know if it's respectable or older, you know, group of Asian Americans that are silent, right? Are, are not saying anything, right? They don't want to rock the boat. And if we don't take it seriously, if we're not standing up for our elders and our moms and our young, our, our children, then how can we expect other community, whether it's black, Hispanic, white, to take us seriously, right? Yeah. And, and that's been my frustration for a long time and why I yeah. feel led to talk about that. And I think you feel the same way uh, as a leader. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and I think, I think this is a real kind of natural segue because I want to leave a chunk of time to, you know, I think more or less, John, I think you and I are in full agreement and I'm sure any Asian American or anyone who's listening on this podcast, I'm sure you are resonating, right, to a certain extent. Um, with the things that we're sharing, right? Because I think it's a collective experience. It's a collective consciousness. Um, but, you know, I, I, I feel like the question now, right? Going off of what you're saying, John, the question now is in light of this moment in time, right? In, in light of the season that Asian Americans find ourselves in, whether it's culturally, spiritually, all of the above, the question is really like, how do we navigate this time? Right, because I, I I completely agree with what you're saying. It's Asian Americans aren't being taken seriously, and as long as that is a reality, uh, we will be taken advantage of. Right. This is why we celebrate the Harriet Tubmans. This is why we celebrate Rosa Parks. This is why we celebrate those that have gone before us, in the sense that they were going to pay a price so that a larger collective would be taken seriously, right? Whether they meant to do that at the time or not. So in light of this, I guess I wanted to say two things. This is just the real raw Andy coming out, right? And this is kind of um, some percolating thoughts that have been coming around the topic of how do Asian Americans navigate this time? What is the solution, so to speak? I think it's two things. I think number one, um, going off of your words, there's the grassroots. So there's the bottom up and there's the top down. I believe that in order for any sort of holistic change to take place, it really is bottom up and it's top down. So the grassroots, right? Asian Americans, whether it's being more vocal, uh, whether it is actually protesting, uh, whether it is actually speaking out or educating people, all of these very grassroots way, engaging in conversation, you know what I mean? Like as uncomfortable of an, uh, as a, a conversation as this sounds, like what if you did talk to one of your white friends and you were to literally in the middle of Starbucks say, hey, can I ask you a question? Um, you know, what do you think about all of these attacks that are happening to Asian Americans, right? It's may not be a pleasant conversation to have, but I think in many ways it can galvanize a, a, a depth of, of relationship there and you can find out really, you know, what's going on, you know, with that other person. But I think there's the bottom up, right? There's the grassroots. But another thought that I had too is it's the top down. And 
I think this is why, you know, again, just using and really paying homage to the Black civil rights movement, right? Because we do pay homage to it in many ways. Um, the Black civil rights movement, there were always competing schools of thought, right? So you had, for example, your Martin Luther Kings and you had your Malcolm X's, mm -hmm. right? You had your W.E.B. Du Bois and you had uh, people that were different, right? Whether it was like a Frederick Douglass or whoever it was, right? And my point here is, I think that just as much there needs to be a grassroots, there also needs to be a top down. And what I mean by that is Asian Americans have to become undeniable. We have to be so absolutely good at what we do that it speaks for itself. I'll give you an example. I love the Kinjas. I could do a whole podcast on why I love the phenomena of the Kinjas, right? But just to use them as an example, I think any dancer in the dance world, when you bring up these Asian American guys called the Kinjas, everyone pays them respect as the best of the best. Because the artistry, the craft, the videography, it all speaks for itself. So I think if Asian Americans are truly going to be taking, taken seriously in this country, I'm just going to say it for what it is. Uh, we have to become people of influence. You know, uh, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying like, you know, your sole purpose in life should be power, wealth and all of these things. That's not what I'm advocating for. But I'm just saying as a society, um, you know, we we won't be taken seriously until we become undeniable. Um, what would you like to say to that? Yeah. John, if you have. Any yeah. Thoughts? I think another way that I would kind of interpret what you're saying, and you know, I, I see a lot of truth in what you're saying, is uh, like stories matter. Yeah. Right? What kind of stories we tell. Yeah. And and the question of uh, what is an American? What does an American look like? And the face yeah. of an American is changing like so rapidly, good. right? Mm. And oftentimes, when when um, you know uh, that happens, um, there's a little bit of unease. Right when when the status quo changes, Asian Americans are the fastest uh, rising minority group in the country. Right mm. during during COVID, um, two million Asian Americans were in the front lines in healthcare, whether it's doctors, nurses, healthcare workers. Right, wow. and so while people are are making fun of Asians, you know, for China flu, Kung flu, uh, all this kind of things. Meanwhile, they're saving lives mm. in, in the U.S. Right. And so the, just the, 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 the crazy irony of all of it, right? And so I think uh, the entertainment, like, like Hollywood and films, that's why I'm so encouraged by films like Minari, um, you know, all these uh, Asian American directors, really great actors yeah. getting the, their shot, you yeah. know, telling their stories. And yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out Minari because uh, uh, a close friend of mine is a director, Harry Yoon. He's a, he's mm. a strong believer. Mm. Um, and... Like that's an American story, right? Wow. Of, of, of a Korean American family trying to make it in Arkansas. And yet it's categorized as a foreign language film. Wow. It doesn't have an opportunity to become best picture at the Golden Globes, right? Mm. So we're still, we're still like seen as not fully American, yeah. right? There, there, there's, there's this like uh, exoticizing, orientalizing yeah. Yeah, orientalizing of, of, of Asians. Right? Yes. So if what does it mean to fully 
be an American citizen. Wow. And, and that and that conversation is is uncomfortable for some people. Mm. Right? Not friends. I have friends from both aisles: conservative, you know, liberal, and uh, as as a Christian, mm. I think I have a lot of friends that are very conservative politically. Mm. But they get really uncomfortable when I talk about race issues. Mm. Like when I talk about uh, these tough questions, right? Yes. And so, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of leave it at there and love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. No, I mean, and I just so appreciate, you know, you, John. And, you know, I think in this conversation, I'm a little bit more of the heated one and you're more of the even killed. <laughs> Kind of bringing a, a level of rationality. Um, no, but I, I do appreciate you, John, and just the way that, you know, you you think in the way that you articulate. Um, yeah, I mean, my, 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 my thoughts on this would be, um, you know, I think going, going off of the being undeniable, right? I, I literally had this thought while you were talking, you know, Obviously, the earliest immigrants of, of the American colonies were white Europeans, right? Anglo-Saxons and the Franks and, you know, predominantly these white Europeans. Uh, and then later came the Irish and then came the Italians. And so in many ways, you know, the early wave of immigration to America uh, were white. And obviously, Blacks were here from the very beginning being brought against their will in the form of slavery, right? And then in the 1800s, right, you start to see the, uh, uh, the Hispanic population really because of our purchase of, you know, Texas and California from the Spaniards, you see that uh, Mexicans and, and Hispanics become somewhat mainstream in American society. And I think with the African-American community, with the Hispanic community, they've seen their moments of renaissance whether it was through the civil rights movement, whether it was through Cesar Chavez, right? And fighting for farmers' rights. Um, these different, these other minority groups saw a moment of renaissance. And I'll just say it for what it is, John. There's something that's brewing in my spirit right now that feels like Asian Americans are in the midst of our renaissance now. I really feel like just maybe, just maybe, right? Like the Chinese proverb says, maybe there's an opportunity in the midst of crisis, right? And that's really where I, I choose to channel my energy, John, right? Because I don't want to channel my energy to a place of hatred, bitterness, anger, resentment, any of these places. You and I both know that uh, it'll never produce right. good fruit out of our life, right? But I think what I, what I choose to believe in this season, and I really want to get your thoughts on this too, John, is I choose to believe um, by the Spirit that actually there is a renaissance taking place, whether it's culturally, but I even believe spiritually. And this is kind of the one piece that I want to share. And I, I just want to hand the mic back to you. But, you know, lately, um, one of the lately, one of the things that I've been um, pondering, meditating, actually spending quite a bit of time um, thinking through is actually the inheritance of Asian American Christians, specifically mm -hmm. Korean Americans. Uh, this is a this is a topic I'm very passionate about. I know you're very passionate about John, and maybe we can do another episode on just this. But one of the things that that I've been meditating on and, and actually journaling quite a bit about is 
The fact of the matter is, and I don't say this in arrogance as much as I say this in taking pride in the story of God of our people, is the fact that Korea is one of the craziest spiritual stories of all times. Mm. Again, I don't say this to our credit. I believe it's totally by the grace of God. But if you really think about what happens spiritually and then translate it economically, politically, and all of these things. But if you think about what happened spiritually in the Korean peninsula over the last hundred years, it is nothing short of the craziest miracle story. Uh, in essence, Korea uh, before the 1900s was considered the poorest nation on the Eastern hemisphere. The poorest, I mean, abject poverty. And in a matter of one generation, right? Some would say a generation is 70 years. Uh, we go from one of the poorest nations of the Eastern hemisphere to one of the top producing nations of the Eastern hemisphere to the point where today in 2015, South Korea was considered the 13th largest economy in the world. That's just one aspect of this, right? But my point in saying this in terms of our story in, in revival history is that Korean, the Korean church has a deep revival history. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why I'm saying this is because when I look at the landscape of where the Korean American church is today, and again, I say this as one of us, what sometimes kind of bothers me is it almost feels like we're trying so hard to find our place in the midst of the crowd. And we're trying to mimic what we see rather than recognizing that you have gold running through your veins. Mm. And again, I don't say this in any sort of ethnocentric way, but I think going back full circle to everything we're talking about, John, I think even from a Christianity standpoint, if Korean Americans, if Asian Americans are going to be taken seriously, even in the realm of spirituality, we have to first know who we are and what we carry. I'm going to just pause there. I don't know if you have any thoughts with that. Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're really tapping into um, really understanding and owning our identity. Yeah, and that, our story. Yeah, that, you know, being, you know, Korean American, Chinese American, Japanese American, it's not like 50% Korean, 50% American. We're, I'm 100% I'm Korean. I'm 100% American. Right? That's right. And, and, that, that there's so much beauty in our history, so, so much to contribute. Mm. Uh, you know, as a Korean American, as a Korean American uh, Christian, you talked about revival history, deep spirituality, uh, morning prayer, and that hard work ethic. And, yes. and, and uh, the, the communal mindset of sacrifice yes. that, that, that is not just about the individual, but I work hard for the greater good of the community. Come right? on that the respect and honor of elders. Those are such good things that uh, sadly our American culture really doesn't really um, value that much. No. It's no. all about, you know, looking out for number one. Yes. Right? And so um, these things that are not highly valued in our culture, in American culture, Koreans, I think, I think if we have a burden to actually display that it's so aligned with the gospel, it's so aligned. And we talked about this, how, you know, there's often this binary uh, talk when it comes to race issues and reconciliation, that what if Asian Americans, Korean Americans could, could 
provide a third way, you know, yes. that is non-contentious. And, and, and actually more than that, I would say the gospel is a third way, right? Mm. As a Christian, I 100% believe that true reconciliation cannot happen apart from the gospel. That's right. Apart from what Christ has done. That's right. You know, Self-sacrifice so that he could make space for the other, right? That's right. If you really narrow down racism, it's, it's discrimination, it's prejudice of othering, right? What, what, what's foreign, what you don't know, what you don't understand because of fear and ignorance, you're mm. othering people, right? Mm. So the only way you can break that barrier is by um, making room. You're making space and room for the other. It's a laying down of power. That's what Christ did on the cross, right? So whenever, you know, you, you hear Paul's writings of, Greeks and Jews and, you know, uh, separation, discrimination in the church, in the early church, he always points to the cross. It's mm. Christ who crucified his flesh to make room for two become one, for that's a new right. humanity, a new creation. Right? That's right. And that's why I'm so, so burdened and passionate that the gospel has to be the third way. Come on. Yeah. And, and, and circling back to what you're saying about Korean Americans or any kind of uh, immigrant uh, Asian American population is because we understand what it means to be in the in-between, yes. in the marginality, yes. right? We can navigate between yes. different cultures Absolutely. and not make it me against you. But let's have a different conversation, a third way, a mm. different way of talking about where it's, uh, you're not my enemy, you're my brother, but these are real issues. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, as soon as, as right when you were talking about that, too, I just couldn't help but to think of Matthew 5, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, right, for they will be called sons of God, children of God. And um, I think you're absolutely right, John. And I think this is really where my heart is at. And this is what you and I were talking about, you know, quite extensively on the phone the other day. But, you know, I, I kind of want to, you know, as we start descending the plane here a bit, I really do feel that very strongly, John. Um, I believe that in the midst of the crisis of what's happening, you know, both with America as a whole, but also with attacks against Asian Americans, I really do believe that there is a kairos, there is an opportune window. There's, an, there's a window of opportunity where I believe in the pressure cooker of what is taking place, I believe if we can discover, you know, what the Lord is saying, what God is saying, you know, to Asian Americans and to Asian American Christians in particular, um, I, I just want to agree with you wholeheartedly that the gospel is the only answer for genuine reconciliation, right? Matthew 18, how can I forgive my brother unless I first know that I've been forgiven much, right? right. And Jesus says, freely give as you have freely received. I cannot freely give my forgiveness if I have not freely received that, right? But in that, I also, I, I, I believe with that is I believe that Asian Americans in particular are uniquely poised using your words because of our experience of liminality of living in the margins our entire lives of feeling like the perpetual foreigner what satan may have used as a curse maybe god is using for the good mm. maybe god is actually writing a story with something that has been the the, the source 
of so much pain or so much heartache or so much injustice. Maybe, just maybe, God could be actually taking that and making it our greatest weapon and using it to actually see reconciliation. And, and honestly, I know that that process in and of itself is going to require uh, Asian Americans in particular, myself included, to find uh, the unshakable identity of who we are in God first and foremost. But I think if we can emerge from that place with uh, great strength, brokenness, and humility on our heart, uh, I do believe that actually we can be used. Um, mm. And I would even dare to say this in leadership for racial reconciliation. Yeah. Any last thoughts from you, bro? Yeah, last thoughts. I want to end, uh, and I want to end with a note of hope. Yeah. Of uh, what's happening here in Fresno, and I feel extremely grateful for what the Lord is doing uh, through through church. And you know, I pastor a, a predominantly Korean American English ministry, um, but through you know relationships really with other pastors and um, you know not being afraid to say we are Korean American, we're Asian American. Mm. And this mm. is our expression of the faith, right? Come on. I just got a call two days ago from a senior pastor from a pretty large church in Fresno asking us to do a joint service for Good Friday. Come on. And they asked me to, be, to share the pulpit with them. Come on. You know, I don't know how he found my number, but he did, right? Um, and uh, every Monday night now, I, I take my leaders to an Armenian church. And we're doing men's discipleship together. Mm. And they ha they're having a worship cohort, which is multi-ethnic, multiracial at the same time in the same campus. So I'm seeing that the gospel has a way to break through every barrier. Come right? on. And, and they're asking, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for, for this, that, that there's leaders, uh, non-Asian leaders that are asking Korean Americans to come have a seat at the table. Wow. Right? And, and that is a move of God. That is not me. That's not my church. We're, we're a really small church uh, in, 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 Fresno, which is like the Texas of California. Nobody really knows where Fresno is, right? <laughs> right. I, I'm in a very small church, and yet, right, God is doing something beautiful in the body mm. where, where they're saying there's something really beautiful about Korean American spirituality, Asian American spirituality, and we need you, right? And that is a move of God. And I just want to end with that that wow. um, as, as long as we own who we are and we have so much to offer to the body, man. Mm. Um, there's so much uh, fruit and hope that, that, that can come out of this season. Yeah. Wow. Well, John, I, I, I love everything about this conversation. I love the fact that you're wearing a blue shirt and I look like I'm wearing a red shirt and we look like <laughs> the flag of Korea right now. <laughs> but uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Um, I, I'm just so thankful for you, John, again. And uh yeah, you know, John is a, a good friend. And I feel like on topics like this, we could literally talk for hours. And, and I think in many ways, uh, today was not uh, exhaustive in nature, but I think was really a an initial conversation of I think many other things we may explore down the road. So again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Navi Design podcast. If you can leave us a comment and a review on Apple iTunes, that definitely helps us to widen our reach and to expand our audience. Thank you guys so much, John. Thank you again, bro. Likewise. This is a lot of fun. Love For you, brother. Sure. Love you too, man. All right, everyone. Have a great night. God bless.